Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. One of my favorite memories of the last year was when we got to have the Barnes move over here from South Africa and to join our team as the teaching pastors for downtown. And during the interview process, we invited Brian uh, to come out here and he brought his son Judah. And while they were here, this was about a year ago, uh, he's, we made arrangements for them to go to Disneyland. And being in South Africa, obviously this was not an option for them. They've heard about, seen about Disneyland. Um, but I got to tell you, as, as someone who spent most of my life in Southern California, has been there multiple times, it's still one of those places that you always have this sense of wonder and enchantment. But nothing compared to bringing Brian and Judah into that place and them just seeing in this massive scale things that they've never seen before coming off Rise of the Resistance or coming off these rides and just overflowing, kind of erupting with this excitement. And, and it was, we just realized we were, we were there to like enjoy Disneyland, but we were there to enjoy the barns enjoying Disneyland because the level of wonder that was just bubbling up within them was just so infectious. And I tell that story because there are moments in our life that we are very aware we are in the presence of wonder. We're in the presence of awe. We're in the presence of something that just captivates you. And that word wonder is our theme for Advent series. And so I want you to kind of have the image in your mind of of Brian and Judah coming off of a ride at Disneyland after just traveling here from South Africa um, to be somewhat... Of a, of a kind of an emotional invitation to what we should be feeling when we come across the story, the nativity story of Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth as a little baby and the wonder that marks Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna who we'll talk about today. And so the text today is going to be out of Luke 22. It says, when the time came, and let me actually back up, let me give you a little set up here, uh, we're going to be taking a look at two characters that are introduced 40 days after Jesus is born. He's brought into the temple at Jerusalem. And imagine the scene that the temple at that time was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Herod's temple that he built. It's massive and beautiful and tens of thousands of people are in and out of that every single day. It's busy and hectic. And Mary and Joseph, in line with the purification laws of the Mosaic law, they leave Bethlehem, which is just to the south. They travel to Jerusalem to dedicate their son Jesus at the temple and to offer a sacrifice there. And while they're there, they are they are met with two individuals who have the ability to perceive what's going on. This is where we pick up the story in Luke chapter, 20, or Luke chapter 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. It's that word wonder, right? Their wonders evoked. They're marveling. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew. And became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This story is, um, and is so full of some really, really beautiful invitations and themes. And so we're going to be focusing on three of them. The story tells us that Christ has come, the long-awaited Messiah. Those prophecies have been fulfilled. Secondly, the Christ is here now. Simeon shows us what it looks like to not only see a prophecy fulfilled, but to see the the presence of Jesus welcomed in. And lastly, this story reminds us that Christ will come again and gives us instruction in the type of posture that we should have in our own anticipation for Jesus' second coming, because that is exactly what Advent is. It is that Christ has come, and that he's come again. And there's actually that, that third middle element, that not only Christ has come and Christ will come again, but Christ is here now. Wherever you're watching this, whether you're in a car, whether you are at home, whether you're listening to this on a podcast, Christ is with you through his Holy Spirit. And so with those in mind, I want to look at those three different themes of Christ has come, Christ is here, and Christ will come again. The first one, we see that this passage is steeped with fulfillment of messianic prophecies, prophecies that were given hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And part of the prophecies said that as oppression increased, as things got darker, as things got harder, that meant that the coming Messiah was closer. 
So at this time, Israel had moved from the oppression of Babylon and Assyria and Persia and Greece, and now they're under the boot of Rome. And things are continuing to get intensely worse. And so with things getting worse, their expectation, their anticipation for the prophecies to be fulfilled was growing. And it says right here that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's another name for the coming of the Messiah. And so this is this this longing that Simeon, this old man, we don't know much about him, is waiting for this this moment that generations have been waiting for. And the first thing this shows us is that this story, the story of the incarnation, the story of Jesus, is bigger than we ever could have imagined. It's not just a story for then. It's not just a story for us now. It's a story that actually encompasses the entire human history. Everything hinges on this moment. Um, Recently, I started reading through the Lord of the Rings trilogy again. And I was struck by the conversation that Gandalf is having with Frodo uh, as his much older cousin, Bilbo Baggins, has just left. And he's left behind this ring for Frodo to have. And they're having this conversation. And Gandalf returns and he says, this story of the ring goes far beyond that of, of your cousin. And so what do you mean? And he begins to start saying that he's discovered that this is, this is a story that is significantly older and more profound, which means that his reaction, Frodo's reaction, response to this has, has little to do with his life in the Shire, has little to do with his relationship to his cousin, and has everything with the consolation of this very old, cosmic, broken story. And, and I was thinking about the story that, that Simeon was given this promise. That he would not die. He would not end his life before he would be able to see this specific promise fulfilled, which is not just a promise. It's the promise, the one the entire nation has been waiting for for centuries has been prophesied from the very first pages of scripture through the life of Moses, through the descendant of David, into the prophecies later on that we've been waiting for this moment. And Simeon, this specific person, was told that he would be able to see it. This story uh, has foreshadowing all throughout the Old Testament. For instance, we see that when Moses, who is, is kind of the archetype of Israel's deliverer, When he was born, he was placed into a basket and then he was sent away for his own protection, ultimately taken and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, But that word basket is the same word for ark. And so in the very beginning pages of scripture, you have this word for ark and basket that hold Noah, that hold Moses, that hold this redeemer. And it should not surprise us that <clears throat> the Christmas story begins with a manger, this, this capsule, this thing that holds this redeemer, that holds this person. It's this, it's this story that continues to kind of lead up to this moment. And one, one thing I wanted to point out in this story that I find really fascinating is that 
it said they brought two birds to sacrifice. Now, this is quoting out of Leviticus chapter 12, when it talks about how when a woman, after she has a baby, 40 days after she has a son, she is to bring this son to the temple. And when they do this, that they're to bring, actually not two birds, they're supposed to bring a lamb. But if they can't afford a lamb, it says in Leviticus, then you may sacrifice two birds. So two things here. Number one, this speaks to the abject poverty that Joseph and Mary were living in. They could not afford a lamb to offer for their firstborn son. But more importantly, the absence of the lamb is actually a container for the for the prophetic image that actually a lamb was there. There was a lamb. It just wasn't there to be sacrificed yet. The lamb was, was Jesus. And it's a subtle yet very profound image of saying this again is a much bigger story than we ever realize. Which is why in John chapter 129, his cousin John the Baptist says he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we understand this. We understand that at the incarnation, this holds massive ramifications. But Simeon also teaches us something else. He doesn't just teach us about the bigness and the enormity of the story. He teaches us about the intimacy and the personal touch that this story holds. And so Simeon, when he sees Jesus, talks about how he is, he's been waiting for this. The Greek word here, so dekomai, means to wait and anticipate actively. Like you're not just sitting back saying, well, I guess, you know, the Lord's going to do it. There's, there's an involvement in that. And so this is a, a posture that Simeon has. He's longing for he's looking for this but the question we should ask is who would he be looking for if he's been told he's going to see the messiah then obviously what he would be looking for would probably be someone like a militaristic leader um, a religious ruler someone of influence and so it's if you've ever gone to the airport and you're waiting for like your you know family member or friend to come down the escalator you're, you're looking at the crowd but you're also looking for a specific type of person, a specific type of, you know, demeanor, walk, posture, age. And I'm imagining Simeon's doing this. He's scanning the crowds, not, not just that day, but day after day after day after year after year. And all of a sudden, he sees a baby. Mark Slomka says this in a devotional he wrote, says, and so it was that his aging heart was beating fast as he scanned the temple court for a man of stature, a commanding presence, a self-authenticating bearing in authority that betrayed a, mess a messianic identity. Instead, his soul leapt within him when his gaze fell upon a nondescript couple that cradled a six-week-old child in their arms. Unbelievably, it was not the father, but the baby commanded his attention. He took the child into his arms and looked through the veil of his flesh into the face of God. 
This is one of the shocking, wondrous moments of the story. Is that Simeon does not see a man, he sees a baby. Simeon also kind of plays the function of when Samuel saw David and anointed him. And there's all of these men, these, these like well-fit, uh, for-the-job type of characters, and every single one God says, no, that's not the one, until he says, oh, there's, I guess there's the youngest who's out in the field. There's another child that you want to pay attention to. And it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So in the same way, Samuel was able to identify David as the king. Simeon was able to identify Jesus as the Messiah. But this is where it gets really beautiful. Up to that point, every single time someone has requested to see the face of God, um, they've been denied. Moses said, God said, I'll show you my back, but I can't show you my face or else you won't live. And in this moment, Simeon holds a child in his hands and he gazes into the infant and he gets to be one of the very first people who gets to actually look into the face of God. And what's beautiful is that the prophecy about this child was that his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that can have a certain level of nostalgia. We hear it in Christmas carols. Uh, but but what, is that, what did that mean for Simeon in that moment? God was with us, not just in like a national level. He was literally in his arms. One article writes this, Simeon provided a striking visual of not just meeting Jesus, but receiving him unto himself. As he gazed into the brand new eyes of the ancient of days, Christ for him went from being God with us to God with me. Comfort has no real meaning until general truth takes on concrete personal dimensions. Nothing outwardly about Simeon's life had changed. Yet he told God he could die in peace. His inner disquiet had been calmed by Christ and his soul was at rest. Simeon knew the consolation of Israel Israel was not an event or a change, but a person. And one of the greatest lessons we learn from Simeon is not only the grand nature of the Messiah coming, but the personal implications of the Messiah coming. I mean, think about the imagery here. You are taking the promise that God had given you that you're seeing Messiah and you're now holding, not it, but him. You're holding the person, looking into the eyes, prophesying over this child. And I think that image is one that I want us to hold on to, that Christmas is about a welcoming in, that God and God as Emmanuel is not just for the world. It's not just for those. It's for you. It's for Me, it is the welcoming into my arms and ultimately of my heart that Jesus has come. And that's what I need more than anything else is that assurance that through the Holy Spirit now, he now lives inside of me. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does it look like for you to realize that the story of Jesus is bigger than you ever thought, but the story of Jesus is also more intimate and near than you ever could have thought? Which leads to our last point. Not only Christ has come, not only Christ is here with us, but that Christ will come again. And for this, I want to look at Anna, her character, because she has a really significant role to play in terms of teaching us what anticipation looks like. What does it mean for us to expect Christ's return? Anna's a fascinating character. She is given the term prophet or prophetess. The Mishnah, the kind of the Jewish commentary on life, only uses that phrase seven times and it's given to her. And this is significant because at this point in Israel's history, there has been 400 years of silence. And then the first time there's a mention of a prophet is Anna. Again, we talked about this last week. There is tremendous amount of dignity given to women in the nativity story. It's in the genealogy. It's through the structural analysis of where Mary is placed in the story. It's her role. And now Simeon, who's given no title, um, but is told his righteous devout, is then right up next to Anna, who's given this title. She's a prophet. And her life is really interesting. It says she was married for seven years. She probably would have been married around the age of 13. And then at the age, let's say around 20, her husband dies. And then it says that from that point on, every single day she worshiped and prayed in the temple. And it says that she did this till she was 84 years old. The text is actually unclear whether she did this for 84 years or she did this until she was 84. But she had done this for decades, day after day, going into the temple, praying and worshiping, also waiting for the Messiah to come. And when Simeon holds Jesus in his hands and begins to prophesy, Anna comes and also begins to declare to everyone around him that the Messiah, the salvation has come. And Anna's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because she shows this this contrasting image of what her life could have been. Because her life really could have been marked by two common directions. One is just grief that the level of loss she went into could have really marked her life in a specific direction. And no doubt she grieved. But secondly, the common thing that would have happened that day for Anna is she would have been taken in by her family, by her tribe. It says that she's from the tribe of Asher. Asher was known for their making of oil. They're the most affluent tribe of the 12 tribes at that time. So this wasn't someone who... Um, had show. I wasn't begging. She had access to all these things, but she denied that natural path that her culture would have set before her so that she would consecrate her life and set it apart and to show up in the presence of God every single day. And because of her posture of anticipation, because of her posture of consecration, of just giving herself over to the Lord, she was able to break the 400 years of silence, and as the, and the prophetess came, and she announced that he finally is here. The reason why Anna's story is so incredible is because it's an example to us. There's another story of, of women with oil that are waiting for their bridegroom. 
In Matthew 25, it says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oils, oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was as long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to, do, to those who sell oil and buy them for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were there ready went with them to the wedding banquet. Now, there's a lot in this parable we don't have time to unpack. But the idea when it says these 10 virgins, they were like the bridesmaids. And their job was to keep their oil ready, their lamp ready, because they didn't know when the bridegroom were going to come. If it was going to come at night, if it was going to come during the day. And, and there's this contrasting story. There are those who are ready for the wedding banquet. The oil is in their lamp. And there are those, both, by the way, both become drowsy and fall asleep. But one was prepared. One was ready. And as I think about Anna and I think about Advent, I think about this parable, I am personally convicted to ask myself the question, do I live with a, with a reality, with a cognitive reality that Jesus is coming soon? Um, I find that my generation younger don't give much thought to the return of Christ. Probably has a lot to do with there's so many other things to look forward to. There's so many things that they, there's dreams they have, anticipation they have. And it seems that my generation older begin to start being curious about the return of Christ. But one thing is for sure. Jesus tells us multiple times that his return is imminent. It is coming. And we ought to live every single day with oil in our lamp. We need to be an Anna and a Simeon. We need to be in the presence of God, watching and waiting. And I think that we live with this lackadaisical spirituality. says, yeah, maybe Jesus is going to come back. Um, It's great. Whenever he wants to, it's great. But the reality is, is, if we lived as if Jesus was coming back today or tomorrow, this year even, um, our life would look radically different. And, and rather than it being you like throw every, you know, throw caution in the wind and you go and do something radical, the picture is given to us is you live like Anna and Simeon in a perpetual state of longing and waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And before you start thinking this is for like the ultra spiritual, um, I think this is just, this is actually a very human thing to do. Because you might be like, well, to be honest, I don't, I don't know if I am waiting for Jesus to return. Like, if he does, great, but I have other things that I'm waiting for. I think like Anna and Simeon, is that if you have a sense that the world is not as it should be, then you are waiting for the consolation of the world. If you have a sense of, man, I, there's a lot of hard stuff my, my, my family's going through or 
disease that we're facing or hardship, broken relationship. And, and in that sense, like I want it to be as it should be, the word for that, the biblical word for that is shalom. You're longing for God to put things in the right order. And Jesus inaugurated that at his coming, but he also promised that when he returns, that all of that will be set in right place. And so I think more of us than we realize are actually longing for Jesus' return as we should be. And Anna and Simeon teach us and instruct us that we ought to bend our life towards that longing and anticipation. That in one breath we can speak, Christ has come. And in the very next we can speak, come Lord Jesus, come. Would you come again? The famous American evangelist Billy Graham once said that Bible teaching about the second coming of Christ was thought as doomsday preaching, but not anymore. His return will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. Man will live as it was originally intended he should live. Indeed, the second coming of Christ is the only ray of hope that shines as an ever-brightening beam in a darkening world. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Simeon and Anna teach us what it looks like to live a life of anticipation, expectation. To live a life of receiving the Holy Spirit right now. They teach us about the, the story we're in right now is, is bigger than you and I. We are not the main characters of the story. Christ very much is. And as followers of Jesus, may we this Advent season reorient our life with a certain level of urgency, expectation, passion, and consecration, knowing that not only has he come, but he's here now and he will come again and pray for you. Lord, we thank you so much that through Simeon and Anna, we have a picture of what does it look like to wait, and even to wait for a long, long time. Lord, like the parable of the, of the bridesmaids, we, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to live a life that has been kind of been drawn to sleep. We want to be awake and alert to what you're doing here and now. And we want to be awake and alert to the fact that you are coming again. Holy Spirit, ignite a fire in our heart to look for what? For your coming. And we also confess we don't have all the answers of what that even looks like. But Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit, you would let us be a people who are consistently ready to receive you now and when you come again. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.